understand what sheaves are. It's a bit of a harvest term, isn't it? Um, we're going to be having a bit of a harvest theme this morning, and our Bible reading this morning is going to be brought to us from, by Gloria from Mark chapter 4. Thank you, Gloria. Mark 4, 1 to 20. Again Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred times what was sown. And that's the word of the Lord. Do you need this phone number, Gloria? The first thing I want to do this morning is uh, just lead you in a time of silence. It doesn't have to be perfect silence. Don't worry about the coughs or the sniffles or the kids. Um, but I just want us to prepare our hearts before we uh, consider the Word of God as it's been uh, read for us um, 
and understand that it is before God that we are coming and we want to hear his voice. So let's just spend a few moments in silence preparing ourselves as we come to meet with God. It's, a, it's an awesome privilege to be able to, to come and meet with you. You are an almighty and eternal and holy God. We are your creation. We have fallen from grace. But we meet with you through the blood of Jesus shed for us. Lord, we want to hear from you. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a, um, a teaching tool that gets adopted uh, fairly often these days where uh, rather than just asking kids to, uh, to answer questions on a piece of paper or at their desks, you get everyone in the room to stand up and you pose a few questions to them and you say, if you agree, go to that side of the room. If you disagree, go to that side of the room. I'm not going to ask you to stand and move, but I, I want you maybe to point uh, one side of the room or the other, depending on what your answer would be. Would you see God as a God of favour or a God of vengeance? God of favour or a God of vengeance? Thank you. Considering God, would you regard God as a God of kindness or a God of severity? God of kindness or a God of severity? Thank you, hands down. This morning I began our service with a reading from Isaiah 61 verse 2 that says that God is a God both of favour and of vengeance. And later I want to direct your attention to Romans 11.22 that God is God, both a God of kindness and of severity. I think sometimes when we approach God, we approach him in simple ways. And I think it's a wonderful gift that God has given us that we might approach him simply. But sometimes we think that we can reduce God just to, to simple thoughts and simple actions. And in the difficult times of life, we think, oh, hang on, my answers about God are just not enough. And it's not that God is not enough, it's just that we've reduced our understanding of God to just simple things. Or we talk about a God of love, but we understand him to be a God of judgment, and it's just hard to reconcile this God who judges with a God who we're only proclaiming as a God of love. And I think when Jesus teaches, he teaches the hard truths, not just the simple truths. And we're coming to a parable today that we're familiar with, but I, I hope to just open your minds a little bit to it. As God has been kind of laying on my heart, this isn't just simple stuff. When I was at uh, high school, there was a game we played, and I'm not encouraging uh, any of our young people to play this game, though you probably have already. The game was called Mercy. And you would come up to a friend of yours and you would both put your hands out and you would interlock your fingers together and then you would attempt to turn the other, people's, uh, other person's hand over until their fingers were bending back so much so that in pain they would cry out to you, Mercy! At which point you would show mercy by letting them go. 
It's a strange thing that mercy is only something that can be given when we're on our knees and in pain. You might say the merciful thing is not to play such games. Um, but when we come face to face with God, we, we, we realise that only that God is merciful when we understand our need for his mercy. And the parable of the sower is the first among the parables that are grouped together by Mark and by the other gospel writers in this way. Not that we would just see the wonderful mercy of God, but that we would see the need for his mercy in our own lives and in that way be able to receive it as it truly is, a gracious gift of God, his mercy shown to us. Glory read to us from Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. And when Jesus tells the parable, he's focusing on what? The farmer and the scattering of seeds. He says a farmer goes out and he scatters seeds and he scatters some on the path and some on the rocks and some on the thorns and some on good soil. And in our current thinking, we think, now what a waste of seed. Um, it was just broadcast sowing. The, the, the ploughing into the ground came after the casting of seed. And the, the paddocks and the paths were often intertwined. And so it was, it was a very uh, easy to understand illustration in Jesus' time how the farmer would sow his seed, recognising that some would fall on, on different parts of soil. Um, when the disciples later inquired as to the, the meaning of this parable, Jesus didn't speak so much about the farmer who we recognise as God himself or the seed which we recognise is, is the gospel, something to be received um, that will bring growth to our lives, but but Jesus, in his interpretation of the parable with his disciples, focuses on what? The ground. And he explains to his disciples, what are these different types of ground? You've got hard ground, it's the path. And sometimes when the gospel goes out, the enemy comes and snatches it away before it can even take root. And sometimes when the gospel is proclaimed, people receive it with joy. But... The cares of this world make the, the continuation of the gospel difficult. Um, or the pleasures of this world mean that, that it's not the, the hard times that we face, but it's the good times that we face that can stop us accepting and, and growing in the gospel as it's, as it's been given to us. For the gospel to produce fruit in us, we need firstly to receive it, but then also to preserve it. Not to let the hard times discourage us. Not to let the good times lead us into such comfort that we disregard the, the gracious gift that we've been given. But that we let the gospel do its work in us. And what is its work? To grow and to produce so that it would produce grains, uh, heads of, of 30 or 50 or 100 fold. Now, in Jesus' day, a good crop was considered seven, maybe tenfold. And so you can see Jesus sort of explaining how great is the work of the gospel in a person's life. When it's allowed to take root and when it's allowed to grow, it will produce 30, 50, 100 times over. Isn't that a work that you want to be a part of? Sometimes I think this parable is saying, you know, there are times in your life where you've been the hard ground, or you've been the rocky ground or the weedy ground, but you should earnestly desire to be the good soil 
And I think that there is instruction in that. But I think Jesus is actually saying, as he explains to his disciples, that there are people who will not receive the gospel. The enemy will snatch it from them. There are people that the gospel will not do good things in because they will go after the things of the world or come upon hard times and turn away from God. And there are people who the gospel will produce good things in. Right at the end of the telling of the parable, Jesus says this, He who has ears, let him hear. And I think that speaks directly to the purpose of the parable, saying that there will be those who hear but do not hear. Those who have ears but do not hear. There will be people who hear the message of Jesus, who hear the gospel proclaim that Jesus has come, that he might die and bring forgiveness of sins, who will not listen to that message. They will hear that, that the reason why Jesus has died is because of their sinfulness. And the more they hear it, the more they will resist. Why do I think that this is what Jesus is saying? Because right in the middle, he says some words that we tend not to focus on too much because they sound really hard. When Jesus was alone and those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable and he said, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, that they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And it goes completely against what we think the parables are for. We think the parables are, are God making plain the, the teachings that he wants us to understand, giving us you know, human analogies so that we can apply these things easily to our lives. But right in the middle of that, Jesus is saying, no, the reason why I'm teaching in parables is so that there will be people who hear and will not understand because they are not to be forgiven. It's in Mark's Gospel, it's in Matthew's Gospel, it's in Luke's Gospel. What does it mean that Jesus would speak in parables, even a message that says the Gospel goes out to everyone, but some will be hardened, some will be distracted, some will be confused, and some will receive? I want to direct you to Romans chapter 11. Open your Bibles with me. Paul, in a slightly different context, is speaking to believers, Gentile believers, Roman, uh, Jewish believers, about how has this God of grace who has revealed himself to Israel now opened the doors to Gentiles that they too might believe. And he begins at the beginning of chapter 11 by telling a story of, of, well, he says, identifies himself with Abraham and says that there was a time when all of Israel were rejecting God, but God preserved a number of them in order that as he would judge the people of Israel, 7,000 would be found not to have bowed their knee to Baal. That, that God would be known for the grace that he shows. All the people are rejecting the message, but God allows some to be preserved in order that he might be known as a God of grace. 
Uh, read in verse 5 and 6. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. It's one of the things that he's trying to teach his Jewish listeners. You're not favoured by God because you've been obedient to the law. Actually, the law has just revealed that you're all sinful. Just as you've always regarded the Gentiles as sinful, you too are sinners. Only the, Those who come to God can only come to God through the grace of God. He goes on to say that there's a purpose for those who resist him. Verse 11. Did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. He's saying the purpose of those who reject God is in order that they might, not that they, that they would go on to, to judgment, but that those who accept God might see how great is the grace and mercy of God in accepting me? Because I should be judged along with all the others who have rejected God, but yet he has shown favour to me. Here's the verse that I was pointing to earlier, verse 22. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. God is severe in the way that he deals with in judgment. He is a God of justice after all. He can't let sin go unpunished. But he is a God of kindness in that those who turn to him would receive mercy. But Paul points to his audience and says, don't be people who have received kindness and regard it as some light thing. And as we go back to Mark chapter 4, we're going to see that this is the teaching of Jesus. That there are those who receive kindness who should see it as it is, the gracious gift of God, but not to regard it lightly. Paul in, in Romans will continue to go on to say, and God has not abandoned his people. The time will come where he will, he will return and, and bring all those that he has called to himself to himself. He will use the kindness that he has shown to you to bring others in jealousy to him. Jesus goes on after the parable of the soils or the sower to speak of this parable. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. You might think that these things that, that Jesus is doing, speaking in mysteries and only revealing it to some, is, is, is how it's always going to be. But Jesus speaks of a lamp that is lit, not in order to be put under a basket or under a bed, but to be put on a stand, that it might bring light to the whole house. And I know we like to read that parable and say, ah, oh, that's... that's that little light in me and that little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And that's a, that's a wonderful song and, and it's a, a wonderful application to, uh, to parables when, when Jesus has spoken of them elsewhere. Here he's just pointing to the fact that secret things will be brought to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. The things that God is doing, he's not concealing so that they would never be known. 
but rather he's bringing about mysterious things in order to bring light to the whole world. Jesus himself being that light. Pay attention to what you hear, he goes on to say. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This, I think, is similar to Paul's warning in Romans. If you have begun to understand the kindness of God, if you've begun to understand the grace that he has shown to you, well then walk in obedience in that. Recognize it as a good and gracious gift that you've been given and become one of those seeds that's been planted in good soil. Grow that you might produce fruit. The more you listen to the word of God and the more you are obedient to it, the more God will reveal to you. Elsewhere, scripture has the warning that those who cover themselves in the word of God, who are very familiar with the word of God, but who are not obedient to the word of God, what they have will be taken away from them. The more you listen to the word of God without being obedient to the word of God, the more resistant you become to it. You can become skeptical. You can become complacent. You can, you can think, well, I know all of that. I understand all of that. You're preaching about the parable of the soils. Yeah, I understand the, the meaning of that. If that doesn't translate to obedience before God and reverence before him in your daily life, where when God directs you, you say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. Take me there. I'm on the path of your kindness. I've received your mercy. I want to be an ambassador of your grace. Uh, if you don't do that, you, you miss it. But our, our response should be, what I've heard, I believe, and so I want to keep listening. I want to be one who has and receives more, not one who has just in order for it to be taken away. Jesus goes on to teach in verse 26, and this is another difficult one. The kingdom of God is as a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Now Jesus doesn't go on to explain this parable, so what are we to take of it? Should we say, well, once I've received the gospel, I don't have to do anything. It will just do its own work in me. Well, clearly not. Is it to say that, that one sows and another waters, but God produces the growth? That's where my mind goes immediately when I read it. I think, you know, Paul teaches of that. You know, one person has the, the work of, of planting the seed in people's lives, but then God uses somebody else in the church to encourage that believer, and God uses somebody else. And so really no one gets the honor and glory for, for producing the, the gospel work in other people's lives. It's only God. That's, that's a, a great message, but I don't think it's what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying here is that the kingdom is unstoppable. There's a certainty about the growth of the kingdom. The seed has been planted and the seed will grow and the seed will produce fruit and the day will come when the harvest will, will, will be taken 
And that's a wonderful thing until you realise all that the harvest means. As I said, God is both a God of favour and of vengeance, a God of kindness and severity. The day of the Lord was looked forward to by the people of God because it was a day when they would receive freedom and the day that their enemies would be punished. You can't liberate a people out of bondage without conquering their oppressors. And when Jesus speaks of the day of of his return, he speaks of it to those who are waiting for, of the, for that day as a day of great hope and a day of great glory. But for those that have been living in rejection of God, that is a day of, of terrible judgment. Let me take you to Joel, one of the late prophets in the Old Testament. Maybe that song that we sang earlier will, will help you a little bit. Joel Amos. Obadiah, Jonah, Mike and Ahab. It's getting near the end. Joel chapter 3. I'm not going to read it at all. It's only a, a small book. But in the last part of chapter 3, Joel is speaking of, of the judgment of God upon the nations. He says, Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves here. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge uh, all, all the surrounding nations. Verse 13, put, a sick, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. He's speaking of the nations that have taken Israel captive, and that was God's purpose in order to punish them. But he, he says of the nations, you won't be overlooked for the way that you've treated my people while they have been in, in your lands. There will come a day when I will bring my people back to myself and I will judge the nations for the way that they have treated you. And Joel describes it as a day of harvest. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. When Jesus speaks of the growing seed and the coming harvest, he's saying, don't think just because it seems like the farmer is awake and asleep as the days come in and out, that he is not preparing himself for the work that is to come. For what he has planted is growing. And there will come a day of harvest. And that day is certain. And so he continues, With what shall we compare the kingdom of God? All of these are kingdom parables. Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Once again, Jesus is speaking of a kingdom that starts small and insignificant. And it would be easy for people to write it off, disregard it, pass over it. Say, well, Jesus is just a man of Nazareth. We know him. We, we know his father. He's just the son of a carpenter. He's unlearned. The men who are around him, they're unschooled. 
We don't have to worry about this man and his teachings, though he appears that you know maybe he's doing wonderful miracles and people are turning to him. We will disregard him and his ministry. He's clearly not the Messiah. That's what people in Jesus' day were saying. What are people in our day saying? You don't believe in Jesus, do you? I mean, supposedly he was born, what, 2,000 years ago? The only evidence that you can find is in the Bible, and I don't, you know, I think that that's just been put together by a bunch of people who are, are wanting to control people. I, I don't know. What, what are the things that people are saying of Jesus? When you speak of, of Jesus being a part of your life, your Lord and your Saviour, and one you, you are wanting to be obedient to, when you say, I just can't do that, it would dishonour Christ, my Lord and my Saviour. Do people scoff? Do they say, why would you, why would you let a, a myth or a legend keep you from the pleasures of, of today? Jesus says the kingdom of God, it's just a mustard seed. It's the smallest among the garden plants. But when it grows, it grows into a, a significant bush such that it, produce, it provides shade to other plants, even, even branches for the nests to perch in. Don't think that the kingdom of God is insignificant because it has small beginnings. The kingdom of God is here to grow and to be abundant and to bless. This is the kingdom that we are a part of. So when Jesus speaks of the soils, that some will accept and some will reject. Which are you? Do you regard the kingdom of God as insignificant and have it snatched away from you? I know maybe it was the faith of my parents and my grandparents, but it's not got naught to do with me. Do you allow the cares of the world to crowd it out? Or do you say, this seed is precious? It's small and it seems insignificant, but it holds for me the ability not to come under the judgment of God, but to come under his grace and his mercy. For I know the judgment I deserve. I see what, what a God of, of justice needs to do. He needs to, to put to death those who are, are hardened against him and those who have sinned against him, and that is me but for the grace of God. And I don't want to ever lose that. I've taken that on and, and I want to learn more. I want to hear more. I want to understand more. I want to be more obedient. If this is the truth, I, I want to know everything that this is about. Because I believe that the, the kingdom of God, it's, it's not just something that began long ago and has now fizzled out. It's something that is growing, that is producing a harvest. And the day will come when God will come and gather all those that belong to him to himself and will judge those who have rejected him. So be careful how you receive the word of God. The rejection of others to this message should increase your joy because you understand how much you have been forgiven. While the kingdom of God remains a mystery to many, one day it will be clearly seen. 
The more you listen and respond, the more you will understand and be given. Nothing will hold back the plans of God. So don't miss what God is doing. Don't regard it as insignificant, but receive it with joy. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that we, like your disciples, might receive from you the understanding of these mysteries. Not just to understand what it is that your word is teaching, but to be believers of it. That we might be a part of this kingdom. That we might be a part of this blessing. That we would be those who, who continue to, to cast out the seed. That those who are, are chosen by you would receive mercy from you. That your word would produce growth in them. Lord, I pray that we would not be complacent that we would not be negligent, that we would not feel ourselves deserving of this great gift, but in humility and in thankfulness that we would walk with you and be obedient to you, though we may be regarded as insignificant in this world. May we be found with you on that day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our last song is going to encourage us to turn our eyes